how you all doing? As I was sitting there thinking, it's uh, 2020, right? And uh, <clears throat> um, I was hoping that through what we talked about today and the scriptures that we look at today, that we'd have, be able to catch a new vision for where God would maybe want to take us and uh, uh, catch a new vision for how he would like us to look at all of the, the events of our life and uh, our thoughts about what's happening in our life and the children's church announcement that they are dismissed right now, okay? <laughs> so I hope we could all have 2020 vision when it comes to uh, the, way we, the way God wants us to look at things. So I just want to, before we start, just pray for our eyes right now, okay? God, I pray uh, that, our, that the scriptures will, will be seen by us today in a different light. We could come to them from a different approach and a different perspective to let them have an effect on our life and on our actions and even our, our relationship to you becoming even more closer. So God, just touch our eyes today. Let us see differently. That's our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to start with a story today. I thought this was interesting when I read this this last week. Uh, a little history, so hang with me. Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., Ever heard of that thing? This was a deal where they wanted to get all of uh, a bunch of church leaders together. There's some new ideas about Christendom that had kind of popped up, bordering on heresy, maybe even heresy. But so we want to get everybody together, put all the heads together, work all this stuff out, write some doctrinal treatises and make sure we got everything ironed out so there's no confusion, right? Constantine... The emperor of the empire at the time was the guy who called them to do this. And so this is the first ever grand council that the people or that the, the, the leaders of the church were to come to. And this would be kind of set a tone for many, many more to come. So 325 church leaders show up to this council in Nicaea. Of those 325, only 12 of them are whole of body. All the rest of them had been maimed in some way, eyes gouged out, hands cut off, crippled, persecuted for their faith. Pretty amazing, huh? Now, Constantine, who was the emperor at the time, he was starting to change some things. But these delegates that came to the Council of Nicaea, they, uh, they were kind of the aged ones, more wise. And so they had lived in the time where they were persecuted by, for their faith. That's an overwhelming number of those guys. Almost every guy that came to that thing had had something, some sort of torture, persecution that they had to live with for their faith. Those guys were armed with the idea that being a follower of a Christ was going to bring some suffering. You were in or you were out. You were in or you were out based on the fact that it was going to be pretty darn hard. Are you in that kind of spiritual shape? That's pretty inspiring to me. Those are some guys that knew it was coming, but yet they said yes. 
Those are some guys that had lived it out. Those are some guys that would say like Job, the Lord blesses, the Lord takes away. We're still going to praise his name. They were ready. They were ready. I don't know that I'm not ready. And that is why you and I, I believe, suffer from anxiety. When you look at that word anxiety in the Bible, you have care, you have worry, you have anxiety. It's all the same Greek word. It really just means double-minded. The fellows at Nicaea weren't double-minded. Straight and narrow in their thought. Missional in their thought. They knew it was coming. They were prepared for it. Uh, didn't make it any easier, but they were ready. One in thought single-minded, all of them ready to go no matter what was going to happen. You and I, we're so adamant about our comfort. And then over here, we have dreams that we want to have come true. We have loved ones that we want to see come to the Lord. We have all of these kind of things that we want to see happen, but we want them to happen without God taking us through the tough times that'll get us there. And so what we have is a divided mind. Anxious. So what can we do? What can we do about this? Well, I just happen to have some scriptures that I'm going to read today that I think can help. All right? First of all, I want to take us, we're going to look at Philippians 4 today, but first of all, I, get, I want to show you just the chapters of Philippians and what, I don't know that Paul, when he wrote this, intended this to happen, but it kind of worked out this way. First of all, you have chapter 1, where he wants us to be of single mind. He's telling a few people to get along, and he wants them to be of single mind, united together. Well, the only way that we can do that is if we're ready for what's going to come, every one of us. In chapter 2, he's kind of challenging us to have a submissive mind. And he says in that chapter, your mind should be, or your thinking should be like Christ, who didn't grasp all of the riches of heaven, but he humbled himself before God, came down, took on flesh, died a terrible death. Your mind should be like that. In chapter 3, he wants us to have a spiritual mind. He talks about some guys in there in chapter 3 that their God is their stomach. And they just go by impulse. Everything the flesh wants, they say. And they're going to pay the price for that. He wants us to have a spiritual mind that's self-controlled. And then we come to chapter 4 where he wants us and challenges us. And he offers us this idea that we can have a secure mind that's foundational and firm rather than double-minded. And so through all of that, he's going to tell us how we can get there and how we can have a mind that's guarded by God. No longer double, but secure, single-minded, submissive, spiritual, and sure. So, talk a lot about thinking today. All right, before we do that, let's just pray for our thoughts. Can we do that? God, even the psychologists, the secular atheistic psychologist tells us that our thinking is so important to life fulfillment. But we know that you go a step further and that you have arranged certain thoughts that we should have. And you've challenged us in our thinking to be a certain way, to fill our mind with certain things. And as we go through those today, God, I pray that not only will our thinking change, but that it will be filled with all the good stuff 
that it'll be open to all the opportunities and all the capabilities that you grant to us, God. Clean our thinking out. Make it strong and secure as we go through this. That's our prayer to you today, God. In your name I pray. All right, Matthew 22, I know you know this one, 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, what's the last one? All right, so here we gotta love God with all of our mind. We maybe forget that one because when we say love your God with all your heart, we're thinking, gotta be passionate, right? Well, we also gotta be thinking people. You know, we go back to school when the teacher said, okay, now kids, let's put on our thinking caps. Any teachers ever said that one? I wish there was a cap. I could have used that thing back then, right? So we're going to do it today. All right, so if you're following along in your bulletin and you're filling those things in, this is the next one on there. Worry, anxiety, care, that's all the same New Testament word, is the product of a divided mind. We're going to try to do something about that today. The next one says peace is the product of a disciplined mind. All right, so This is what we're going to try to be about today. We're going to order our private world, or at least we're going to see what the scriptures say on how to do that. We're going to try to put it to work, going to try to apply it and have disciplined thinking, see what we can't do with that, see what it doesn't do for us. So number one, a mind not full of God will be filled with care. Here's where we're going to start, Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. These these are going to be familiar verses to us. So let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Okay, so our outward expression is a gentleness. A gentleness that comes from a calmness that's not full of anxiety. Let your gentleness be evident. But we can't be fake about this. We got to bring that calmness into our hearts so that our gentleness can be evident. We do that by knowing that the Lord is near. Here's how we also do it. We're not going to be anxious about anything. We're going to be committed to that. Don't be anxious about anything. Here's how you can do that. In every situation that will cause you the anxiety, pray about it. Put your petitions and your requests to God. Hand it off to him like we talked about last week because he cares for us. We're in prayer going to hand it all to him. We're going to do that with thanksgiving like Virgil talked about. Thanksgiving, trying to renew our mind. In thanksgiving, we're going to present our petitions and our requests to God. Hand it to him, ask him for what we need, and then we're going to know that he is a provider for us. And what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Freshman year of college... I'm getting serious about my faith. I'm making it more my own and cutting the strings to my parents a little bit. I hadn't read the Bible a whole much bunch. I really didn't know what I was doing. I just knew God was beginning to work and my mind was more open and ready to hear what God had for me and to change my life. I'm out detasseling with my little brother who hadn't got to that point in his life. And, he, and I'm, we're just starting to talk about it. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just kind of going by what mom and dad and what I'd learned in church and that kind of thing. And uh, he was having a little trouble with a girlfriend at the time. So detasseling away, just, you know, good that I could talk with him because detasseling is boring, isn't it? Talking away and out of my mouth comes this verse. I don't know how. I know that I had heard it or read it somewhere. 
my mom had maybe said something about it, but I quoted it verbatim. And that was unlike me because I didn't know it or had ever read it. But God just said it out of my mouth. So this verse has always had a neat little meaning to me because I quoted it one day when, my, when I was beyond my spiritual life at that time. I knew God had just brought it to my lips so that I could tell my brother about it. I knew God was working. And even that very thing right there, the peace of God transcends understanding. That thing that happened to me that day was beyond my understanding. And it just happened. And I felt close to God at that time. So that's what he says. We're going to take the situations that cause us anxiety, hand them off to God in prayer. We're going to be grateful no matter what the situation is. And he promises us that that peace that we don't understand is going to come. Now, why, don't, why can't you understand it? Boy, it's tough when you're up here talking about it. And it's something that you can't understand. Pretty tough job for the speaker, right? <laughs> why can't we understand it? I think it's because there's a hand in glove thing that happens. As I begin to move to God, hand it off to him, he begins to move towards me on the other side. And a spiritual maturity and confidence begins to happen that all of a sudden now, I begin to look at everything differently. And those things no longer cause me as much anxiety and my confidence in God and the feeling that he's actually with me begins to just embolden me a little bit and stuff rolls off the shoulders a lot easier. How do you make a one, two, three step out of that? I don't think you can. That's why Paul's saying this is going to happen and you're not really able to put your finger on it. You're just going to find it happening. So he's drawing us in. Give this a try. See if it happens. All right, so what do we worry about? I'm going to just kind of go through a couple of things here because I think they kind of cover all the bases. First of all, we worry about the unknown. We worry about tomorrow. There are a whole bunch of what ifs. Kids are going back to college in a few days. What if? What if? I'm hitting the road for a road trip today. What if? What if? Do we do this? All the time, right? We worry about the kids. We worry about our life. We worry about whatever happens, like a cat that's going to have a veterinary bill come my way. Mm, everything worry. Is the budget going to work out? We're going to have enough money? Constantly, we worry about the unknown, what will happen. Jesus in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, tells us and gives us permission not to do that. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I agree with him on the last part there. But the worry, tomorrow will worry about itself. Wow. What a, what a comforting thought. You don't need to worry about it. Let it do it. Let it do it itself. I got you in my hands. The second thing that I think that we worry about is the unlikely. We are a part of the 24-hour news cycle. And probably a lot of the times we wake up and we just have our worry app on and we just digest all of that stuff that would cause us to worry. Uh, anybody worried about World War III? That's the one this week, right? World War III? They tried to make that one trend. 
I'm glad you're not. If it happens, it happens, right? I don't want that World War III. But we always worry about the unlikely because we digest all of that stuff with the constant updates for us. Now, just think about it for a second. The news is never going to report normal human experiences because they're normal. The news has to give you something that's outlandish or that's going to attract your attention. So the news is full of the unlikely. And you and I digest and digest and digest. And it just adds to our worry. Ecclesiastes 1.18, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. We can just worry and worry and worry. We can try to figure it out and figure it out. We can read books. We can read books. But all of that wisdom takes us away from a simple mind that is just having faith in God. And then lastly, we worry about the uncontrollable. How many of you do this one? Edward Hallowell says, here's what happens. We have a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. That's where we worry about the uncontrollable. How many of y'all, moms and dads, you've been on the other side of the car in the passenger seat and you're training your child how to drive and you're pressing on those imaginary brakes as hard as you can, right? Over there, you got no control. You can't press that brake. You you can maybe go over and grab the wheel a little bit, but if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. A heightened sense of vulnerability and a lowered diminished sense of power. I want to challenge you there to be okay when that happens. There's ways to do this. We'll present our requests to God because he has no diminished power. His arm is plenty long enough. So when you have that sneaking suspicion that your power is waning, your vulnerability rises up, the hair on the back of your neck tells you and lets you know The butterflies in the stomach say, "Uh uh-oh, diminished power, heightened vulnerability. Let's just be okay. And the scriptures tell us how to do that. Okay, some examples from David. David, as you know, nothing but good killed the giant. Went out, defeated the Philistines. Nothing but good on his part. God was with him, but... Saul became jealous, and so David spends a lot of his time running for his life. There's a couple of times in the scriptures where this is explained to us, and it's really kind of neat because we can learn from this. This is 1 Samuel 23. This one's not up there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him. Day after day, incessantly, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Here's what Jonathan said. Don't be afraid. <laughs> what? Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. Even my father knows this, he says. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord right there. So this is Saul himself, his son, coming out to help David. 
you know full well, David, you know full well, you know that Samuel came and anointed you to be the king. The promise is there. So why would you be afraid? Let's look at this one. Saul was going along one side of the mountain. David and his men, Saul's got a whole army. David has about 600 fellas. We're on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a message came to Saul saying, Come, quickly, the Philistines have raided the land. And Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why this place is called Selah Hamaklikoth, because it was a place of division. That mountain divided. You can go there and see that place today. And the next time I go, I'm going to that one because David is running for his life, skin of his teeth. Saul is closing in, nothing but one mountain separating them. Nothing but a couple of promises that he was to be king to go on. So close. But God was right there, and it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. What can you do? What can you say from this? David, you were anointed to be the king. Did you think you were not going to be the king? Well, if David would hear, he would say, yeah, Ben, but you don't understand. Literally running for my life day after day, you don't understand. Let's look at it this way. Why, oh why, God, would you send Samuel to anoint the boy to be the king and then put him through all of that? Let's look at it that way. Why, God? Why, why, why all the anxiety? Why all the fear? It is because God needs to take us to the place where we rely on him. The men, the disciples, they're with Jesus out in the boat and the, and the storm comes on to the sea. Why? Why the storm, God? I, why the scare? Why the water coming into the boat? Because he had to take them to a place where their full trust and reliance was on him. Then we'll be single-minded rather than the double-minded and full of care. Jesus was in that boat Jesus couldn't drown because the plan hadn't come to full effect. All right, so now here you, friend. What is it? What is it that your heart is so full of care about? And what promises can you lean on from God? Can you just then ask God, why, God, why are you taking me through this? And to understand that God needs to bring us to the point where there's only a mountain between us and the thing that we're worried about. And there's only a promise that we can rely on. He wants to take us to that point. You and I have dreams we want to come true. But you and I think that those dreams can come true without going through the things that get us there. And Jesus wants to do that. Now, if we were of single mind, and if we were ready to understand that God takes away, we would be so much better off in all of this. David goes before us and he tells us how to do this. Remember now, David cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Do you remember that? And afterwards, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. 
I wish I wouldn't have done that. For some reason, I need to show everybody what I was going through every day. For some reason, I needed everybody to know how tough it was. When the truth of the matter was, I just needed God to know. I just needed to give it to him. I didn't need to do that. David is saying, man, I got so close to relying on God fully for my daily life. But that was a weak point. I blew it. I I wish I could look back and not have any weak points. I wish I could have looked back and just tell everybody. And everybody would see that I was always strong. David at one time ran to the Philistines because he was afraid. He ran to the enemy. To the people who he had already defeated the giant with. And on his way, God had him stop at the house of God because he was hungry. Could you give me some of the showbread? And he said to the priest there that day, I'm in such a haste, I didn't even bring my sword. Do you have a sword that I could take? And the high priest said, there's one right over there. It's Goliath's sword. And that should have been the reminder. David, why are you running to the Philistines? I got you, man. I have you. You don't need to run. David went and tried to be a Philistine when his heart was full of Israel. And in that, David was a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does, when he could have been single-minded, realizing and recognizing God had him and would not give him into his hands. That's what we learn from him. I pray that we can do it. So I'm going to just pray for our heart right now, okay? God, the heart begins to beat so fast when the anxiety kicks in. You've made us wonderfully to prepare us. God, give us the wisdom and the know-how to somehow shut that down, rely on you, and get through the times of trial with you. God, we know that this anxiety is not healthy over time. And we're not able to shut it off as well as we can. But God, we know, we know that you, that we are in your hands and we do not have to be anxious. So help us to learn how to shut it off, ratchet it down so it does not affect our body in an unhealthy way. Help us, God. We know that our physical body needs to be in shape for us to be the best for you. And we know that it can't be burdened with a bunch of care. God, your promise is there. Help us to take advantage of it, please. That's our prayer today. Number two, a mind full of God is life and peace. I'm going to switch it around now, all right? Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. It's double-minded, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Full of life and full of peace. All right? So this is discussing a person that has peace of heart. There's not a whole lot of worry that gets to him or her, but it's also full of life. It is content with God's provision and protection, and so it is able to expound its thoughts and think exponentially about life. It is alive. That's the mind governed by the Spirit. Now, in Philippians again, he's going to just give us some pointers on how to do that. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, simple, isn't it? Let's fill our mind with that stuff. 
And he says to them, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I wish we could have been there to see Paul. It would have been easier to put that stuff into practice. But we got him right here. We got to be reading it. All right, let's just go down through those words real quick. First of all, whatever is true. There's a lot of fake news out there. <laughs> there's fake pastors. There's fake professors. There's fake friends. There's fake coworkers. There's a bunch of fake out there. And there's probably some fake right in here. So let's fill or at least try to fill our minds with what is true. How well are we doing? Noble. Whatever is noble. This is what's talking about what's dignified, what's respectful, what's honorable. Do our actions and our thoughts match up to that? Whatever is right. Paul is here talking about our functional behavior. We're going to rid ourselves of dysfunction. We are going to approach our government, our boss, our job, our spouse, our kids, everything with functional behavior. Whatever is right, let's fill our minds with that so that our actions then become right and functional and whole and healthy. Next one, whatever is pure. This is specifically talking about our sexual integrity. What is that? Where is that? Watch what you watch, I think is what Paul is saying here. Watch what you watch. We can gravitate to websites. We can watch some junk that's maybe not quite as bad a junk as what other people are watching, but it's junk nonetheless. Let's fill our mind with what is pure. The next one, whatever is lovely. I don't know. As a man, I read that one and I'm thinking, flowers are lovely, right? I don't know what lovely exactly means, so I had to look that one up. Whatever is lovely. This is what becomes attractive, This is something that delights our senses, okay? It is part of the artistic creation of God, and it ought to do something to us. Here's an example. I watched a little YouTube video about how the architecture that you live in and around affects you, your personality, and you as a person. Architecture. This is a study that was done. And they said this happened in England in the late 40s and the 50s, rebuilding some things. They surveyed society, and overwhelmingly the society, the people of society said, we want to live in houses. We want our own home. But the government then said, nah, that's a little too expensive, and they subsidized the high-rise apartments. And they crowded people into them, and the people went into them because they were a little bit cheaper than owning your own home. And what happened? There's crowds, there's pollution, there's noise, there's constraint, and there's all of this stuff in the urban environment. And the study says that as people, we tend to adapt to the architecture around us. And over time, as they studied people, they began to look at themselves as one of a number rather than the independent soul that they are. That's just architecture. There's a hundred other things that apply to our senses. 
If we could think about what's lovely and attractive and keep our mind steadied on that, we might have a new way of thinking about ourselves and life. I don't know where living in a school fits into all of that, but I'm trying. (laughs) But this is what did happen to me. Christina and I are doing this read through the Bible in a year thing. And so we're starting with Genesis, and you got all the creation story, and then we come to Noah where creation was kind of destroyed. Uh, And then they read you through a psalm that kind of corresponds. And the psalm that came up this past week was 104. That's where David just goes down and he lists all the beauteous and wonderful things of creation. As we read, after we read, we then take 10 minutes of just silence And then we see what God said to us, and we get together, we talk, and we kind of cross-pollinate what God say to you, what God say to me. In that psalm, as we read down through all the neat things of creation, and at the end, David just kind of unleashes and said, this is is awesome. I'm going to praise God every day. I'm going to sing to him every day. And he also says this, may the meditations of my mind be pleasing to God. David had it that day when he wrote that psalm. The attractiveness of creation and what it said to me that day was, Ben, you just got to get excited about life. The sun shines. You wake up every day. Life is great. It's been given to you. And my ultimate conclusion was this, Ben, you just need to be happier. And my wife said, oh, you're growing up. (laughs) I was do you see friend that just by one psalm in the bible and filling my mind with it my day went better my optimism was higher my potential in my own mind was raised this is how we do it architecture is going to come against you Your friend even is going to come against you. All that you have heard and believed since you were a child is going to come against you. The enemy is going to come against you. And you are going to adapt to it. And you're going to believe junk about yourself. Why don't we believe good stuff? The sky is the limit with you and God. Depending on what you and I believe. So I'm going to pray for your mind right now, okay? Let's do that. God, help us to figure it out. Help us to see clearly in our mind's eye. God, give us a disciplined mind and help us to keep that discipline as we go into this new year. Father, help us, motivate us to stick with our commitments especially with our mind. God, I thank you personally for the day that I had the other day. It is so good. And I look at all the wasted time that I've spent, all that I've seen, watched, all that I've let come into my mind and affect me. God, let it be different for me and for all of us. God, help us just now, just help us to rearrange our thinking and to order our private world accordingly so that we get this right, 
so that strongholds fall, dreams are achieved, and the confidence that we want comes. In your name I pray, amen. All right, we can say all of this, but it's a matter of are we going to do it or not. So I'll say to you today, practice is better than priority. Living it out is better than just learning. So we've learned today. We've saw what the scriptures say. So what do we do about this? American Heart Association says this. I quote, examine your values and live by them. The more your actions reflect your beliefs, the better you will feel. That's pretty common sense. This is what we're saying here. Let's let our actions run in accord with what we actually believe about God. But that amounts to you and I filling our mind with God. Okay, so we pray, we hand it all off. We're thankful as we do that. And then we're just going to spoon feed our mouth and shovel all the good stuff into our mouth and to our mind as we think correctly. And what happens? Two promises are given to us. First, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard, guard your heart and your mind. God then begins to work on your mind. Guard it. He's not gonna, he's gonna help you not let the junk in. He's gonna help you stay focused and steady on him and what he's all about. I don't know how to explain that any further. It transcends all understanding. Secondly, what we just read, the peace, the God of peace will be with you. Okay, well, that kind of sounds cool, Ben. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think it's this. Paul is telling us, you know those times, Ben, where you felt like God was really close to you? When you do this, you're gonna feel that a lot. You remember, Ben, how good it felt to feel like God was close to you? You're going to get that a lot more. You game? One last verse, Isaiah 26, 3. This is Isaiah talking about God. You, God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because why? They trust in you. A steadfast mind is what we're going for. Now, you have a part in that. We talked about it. Hand it off to God in, in prayer. Be thankful and fill your mind with all the truth, everything that's lovely, pure, and beautiful. That's our part. And then somehow, God comes around and he does his part. It's unexplainable. I missed one of my good points. Anxiety blinds us to our blessing. Didn't have it in my notes. <laughs> Our eyes forget about blessing and we don't become grateful like we should and all of a sudden the snowball begins to roll downhill. It's pretty tough to renew your mind every day and push that snowball up the hill but that's what's in store for us. And we can't even explain it and the confidence that comes and also the feeling of knowing that the God of peace is right there close to us. What a wonderful adventure God has in store for us, there now remains one thing. Do we take him up on it?
God, thank you for your word. Everything in this world is dying, God, except your word is living. Help us to rearrange, God. That's our prayer. Help us to rearrange things. Help us to make it our priority and renew our mind with it. God, help us to take all of our thoughts captive, make them obedient to you, and feel you close. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand. It's always commitment time at the beginning of the year. Same for us. Thinking today. What's your new commitment? How are you going to rearrange? What's your new commitment is concerning filling your mind with the good stuff and then allowing God to guard your mind from all of the other stuff? What's your commitment? As we sing today, let's lay it all down. Let's ask him to clean the thinking out and let's make our commitment on how we're going to refill and recategorize our mind. You do that as we sing.